But I, I do think that it's a matter of us at the companies in the tech industry, there are vets of the tech industry to sort of break out of like what we think a good profile, the right profile looks like and be a little bit more open-minded to people with unconventional backgrounds. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Culture Crunch. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Jenny Kang, talent partner at Battery Ventures. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So Jenny, obviously we've spoken before and as ever, I'm very keen to discuss company culture with you. And so to begin, I'd just like to ask you kind of quite a a general question, which is in your opinion, what does good company culture look like? In my opinion, I think that good company culture is one of true transparency, you know, that the leadership is transparent about happenings in the firm or company, how to engage employees, thinking about a true meritocracy where strong performance is rewarded by career development and fair financial incentives. I think good company culture is also one of providing feedback and welcoming feedback at all levels, leadership and, and more junior levels caring for and developing talent and a commitment to improving diversity and in, in being inclusive. Great. Okay. So you talked earlier about engaging the workforce, but in terms of what many of us see at the moment, you know, with the, with the companies we work for, which is the dispersed workforce, how does a company really engage with a workforce of that nature? Yeah, no, I think it's a challenge that a lot of companies are grappling with today, um, especially as there are sometimes different iterations of the dispersed workforce. There are those that have chosen to go fully remote and they have employees all over the world. There are others that have maybe tried to focus on hiring people who are close to maybe a few hubs where companies may have an office. And, and some companies that are kind of doing the hybrid model where maybe a couple days a week, people will come in the office because they are located close to a, a hub that the company may have. Um, and then the part, and then the rest of the week they'll they'll be stay remote. And then there are those that are actually asking for people to sort of come back and so um, all into the office full time. So I think there there is a, a real diversity, and I think a lot of companies are kind of struggling with that. Um, but I think the the need to engage with the workforce um, remains the same, and and certainly there are those challenges when when a company is fully remote um, or and or dispersed. And I think that it's very important for leadership. You know, people who have teams, um, as well as sort of like the executive leadership team of a company to have periodic touch points with their employee base to ensure that they're feeling connected to each other and to the company. This could be in the form of virtual all hands um, during which they can sort of cover, you know, big occurrences or, or updates happening internally with the business, any projects that might be in flight. Um, I think that it's very helpful to have in those all hands a Q&A session where you can invite questions beforehand or during the all hands in probably in an anonymous nature so that leaders can answer questions and concerns in real time. I think another way to engage workforces is, especially during the pandemic when things started to really lock down with COVID-19, I think that a lot of places that I've worked, um, a couple places that I've worked, as well as you know what I've heard anecdotally from companies, is you know just the little touch points to show that the leadership is thinking about the employees. So sending a care package, for example, that might include some company swag or useful items for working from home, 
uh, like little treats. You could send like little pastries, just like the little touches that show, hey, I know it's been a hard time. You're working from home. It's been challenging for everyone, but we company really care about you and, and are looking out for your sort of well-being and connection to our, um, our company, our organization and culture. I think that if you're part of a smaller team or a department within an organization, I think it's important for the leadership of that team to check in regularly with their direct reports make sure that they're feeling supported and engaged. And fortunately in the Zoom era, it's easy to set up these, these quick Zoom meetings with folks and, and, say, and say, hey, how are you doing? Um, that said, I think that, you know, I think people have really overdone maybe the, the Zoom meeting. And, and occasionally I think it's nice when a manager will say, hey, let's abandon the Zoom, let's, let's go for a walk and maybe just convert to a phone call and then the manager does a walk and their direct report does a walk and they can just be outside and catch up in more in a, in a casual fashion. So I think that that's a really great way to engage, you know, your employees and your, and your teams. I think uh, virtual work events, they seems kind of like a sort of a silly thing, but I, I think, again, it's a little touch that, that is fun keeps employees engaged. Um, I think that could be in the form of a, a virtual happy hour. You could do like a, you know, team offsite virtually and, 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 you know, do like a trivia game, even a shared exercise class um, or a painting or cooking activity over, over Zoom. Um, I've participated in those and during the pandemic and I thought it was a lot of fun actually. And then um, the other piece is, I don't think that we should underestimate the power of getting together in person occasionally. So I think that whether that is an annual, maybe an annual all hands that a company decides to put together as an in-person and to pay for and invite everybody from the company to come together like once a year, I think that that would make actually go a very far, uh, it would go a long way to, you know, getting employees engaged, feeling back connected with their, their company and getting kind of, you know, fired up again about like why, this is why I joined this company because of this great culture, this togetherness that we, um, and, and really driving towards, you know, the same goals as a company. Um, I think that also departments could do their departmental kind of offsites occasionally, like annually once a year, or maybe like every quarter, if, if there's like some openness to meeting that frequently. Again, I just think that we've been kind of trapped at home, um, you know, over Zoom and, I think that that occasional in-person event just really brings people together and just really energizes folks. I think the, the points that you raise, I, I guess, in isolation, perhaps you think that it's not going to make a huge impact, you know, um, a hamper, for example, or, or, or the odd quiz. But actually, by consistently doing a few of those things, actually, you are really going to get a sense of cohesion. And I think, you know, sometimes companies think, oh, well, we've, we've, we've done that. So we've, we've kind of ticked that box. But as you've outlined, Jenny, by actually really thinking about the different ways, you know, departmental offsites and wider team events as, 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 as well as the, all the online meetings and, and the walks, as you said, actually, when you combine that, we're in a position now where we can have almost a better culture now than we did even pre pandemic, because back then we didn't really appreciate the the kind of interaction that we were having with our colleagues because we just took it for granted whereas i think now i certainly really value that face-to-face -face meeting with my colleagues more so but then equally when we do those sort of team building things online they just it's it's a different dynamic and also something that i'm appreciative of i completely agree with you i um so currently at our firm we we do a hybrid model 
So we go into the office a few days a week, but then we can be remote for the the balance of the week. And those times that I'm in the office, I just I'm actually very excited to go in, and it's just like just the right balance. And when we do have the occasional in-person happy hour, as opposed to like the, some of the you know remote sort or virtual all hands, I, it, it, you're right. It's like the total experience, right? All these different cumulative activities and touch points. They, they're what kind of build out the culture and frame out the culture for people and, and have them feel engaged and, and happy in their jobs. Yeah. Well, what I've seen, um, Jenny, I'm really keen to, to hear your thoughts on this, but some individuals who thought they would hate video calls and, and really dislike those interactions that were online surprisingly have kind of leaned very much in towards those things and, and kind of you know, it surprised them how engaging these forms of, of communication actually can be. H- have you have you found a you know f- found that in your case as well? I think it can be the case because I think there was a time before Zoom where you know I used to be an exec recruiter and um, I would talk to people who were located sort of all over the country, occasionally you know in Europe as well. And at that time we didn't really have video conferencing, so it was just a, a phone calls. But now I could just hop very conveniently on a Zoom call with somebody who's living in the UK or living in Singapore and be able to see them, like sort of look them in the eye, um, you know, over over Zoom. And it does add a different sort of element of kind of like connecting with a person and um, and getting to know them better, getting a better sense of their style just in that interaction over video, which previously we didn't have that capability. And so... I agree with you that when I have my my Zoom meetings now with people, I feel like I have more, I build more of a rapport with them than um, when I used to do a lot of phone calls in the past. So I agree with you. I remember when the the Zoom calls first began, and there was a a kind of phase where it was all a bit new and exciting, and then it became quite boring quite quickly, uh, <laughs> and there was a sense of almost rigidity regarding those Zoom calls. But now I think people are a lot more almost expressive. You know, they're happy to talk about the painting in the background or the dog that's barking, you know, by the feet. And people are a lot more open in sharing their home life. Or, whereas before there was that clear de- delineation, wasn't there? That boundary that, you know, you just didn't cross. Whereas I think we've pushed through, well, I'd like to think anyway, that we've pushed through that awkwardness. And now it's a case of you actually can almost learn more about your colleagues when they're sitting in their living room or in the dining room with a kid and, you know, their child in the background than actually we would if it was a boardroom in the office. I agree. I think that, you know, we have had to open up our homes to more people all over the world because of, um, you know, the nature of work the last couple of years. And it's true that I enjoy, you know, seeing like this is what this person's living room or workspace looks like, and that they're that they're in the UK and their architecture is so different than here. Um, and so, uh, you know, things like that that really do add so much more to the picture when you're getting to know an individual. And um, and I, I think that you know, I think everyone has become, it's become more um, personal in a way, you know, engaging with, with folks in this in this manner. And um, I think that people have become less kind of uptight about things and less like corporate in some ways and hey like this is more of a let, let me be genuine and and speak to you from my my home and I'm, I'm going to tell you about myself you know and so i do feel like you you build better bridges in some ways with folks in in this new kind of world that we are in with zoom 
Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, apart from when you're speaking to a colleague or a, or a client and they live in a lovely hot country and you're sitting in rainy London and on those occasions it's less enjoyable, but I, <laughs> I'm just speaking from experience there. Um, so Jenny, you, you talked earlier about um, a good company, a culture is one where there's a, a really strong kind of focus in elevating diversity and inclusion. So how do you think companies, especially within the tech space, can can gain traction in elevating diversity and inclusion? So I think that when we think about attracting diverse talent, we need to sort of break out of our habits of wanting to look for like the same cookie cutter profiles. I think that um, one of the positives of, I think, becoming more of like a remote workforce, dispersed workforce, is that for companies that have, you know, hiring plans that were fairly aggressive, they need they need to be more open-minded about where these people live, the candidates that they bring and live. And that actually has opened the door to, I think, also becoming a little bit more open-minded on, you know, non-traditional backgrounds. The fact of the matter is in some of these major tech hubs, like in the Bay Area or like New York, um, a lot of the folks who are in tech, it's not a particularly diverse workforce. And so um, to look across the U.S. in particular, where I've largely focused my efforts, um, just because of where our companies invest, it's been, an, you know, an ability to sort of open the door to like talking to folks who are from other cities that have more diverse, like underrepresented minority workforces and, um, and having more exposure to different backgrounds. Maybe there are folks who are newer to technology. Maybe they had more of like a CPG background or there are people who are in a different kind of industry, but they are interested in, tr- in making that leap over to tech. And so I think that having that openness to, you know, diversity of thought, which naturally comes from, you know, talking to folks who maybe have different kinds of, you know, professional backgrounds is one key way that we can help with, you know, pushing for our commitment to diversity as, as companies hire. And I would encourage companies to think of this at all levels. This isn't just like, hey, I'm going to give this salesperson who's never been in tech a chance because it's like an entry level position. I do think that companies need to sort of think about hiring diverse candidates at all levels. So at the most junior levels to the mid, mid-level, mid-manager levels, to the leadership levels, and certainly at the board level. Um, I think it's important that we, it's sort of like an, you know, um, a multi-pronged approach to, to encouraging diversity and promoting diversity within a company. I would also say that at the diversity of the board level, uh, certainly this has been a topic of conversation for the last couple of years, you know, with the murder of George Floyd and um, and a real understanding that there's some huge gaps in tech with um, underrepresented minorities being in leadership positions or in, you know, companies generally speaking. So, um, and so I think that the push for diversity at the board level has um, been extremely important for, for some time. And there's been a huge push to do so across all industries. Um, and so I think that companies and um, hiring managers that who are open to non-traditional backgrounds and are going to really um, push for that, they, I think it's, you, be, you should be able to find people who are passionate about making that transition to tech. And so rather than focusing on the domain experience necessarily, depending on like what the hire is that you're looking for, I think there are some intrinsics and analogous industry experience that um, you know could be a substitute for actual like tech experience. So you know, I gave the example of like a salesperson who doesn't come from tech, but perhaps they come from an industry that is like a you know it's a complex sale, or 
this person has a strong track record in sales and, and has some other sort of uh, pieces to their background that really show uh, someone who's like a real driver who's going to get things done um, and has shown some adaptability in their background. This, uh, you know, are some of the sort of hallmarks, I think, of someone who could have the intrinsics to make that change. They will be capable to make the industry change. And, you know, maybe like the leap from a non-technical type of product selling would be more of a leap if that person is, for example, again, like CPG to like an infrastructure software company. So maybe that won't make sense. But that CPG sales leader maybe could be a fit for a consumer tech company or a marketplace business, something that's a little bit less technical um, with a consumer end, end user. So um, and then I think that there are other functions in companies where you know, like GNA, for example, functions like finance, HR, people ops, where I think um, being more domain agnostic is, 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 can work just fine. But I, I do think that it's a matter of us at the companies in the tech industry, you know, vets of the tech industry to sort of break out of like what we think a good profile, the right profile looks like, and be a little bit more open-minded to people with unconventional backgrounds. So if you were to give companies, um, let's say within the tech space advice that they could kind of implement today in elevating um, diversity um, and inclusion, what what would be your, your kind of number one go-to tip to implement? I think that, first of all, I think that at the very most senior leadership level, there has to be a true commitment to wanting to improve diversity and inclusion within an organization. So I think... That would be one of my number one advice is that it kind of has to come from the top down, I think, to, to really hold traction, to really kind of flow down throughout the organization to all levels and, and to also show like a genuine commitment to diversity. If, you know, somebody who's more like mid, mid level or a junior person sees like their CEO is like, hey, this is something that's hugely important to us as a company. This is a core value for us. That's going to, I think, both energize them like this is why I'm at this company because this is the leadership that I, I really believe in and they have a real commitment to diversity they're living it every day I think that that so to see that kind of leadership at the top and the communication I think is is highly important so that would be like my number one sort of tip I think for for leadership and for companies to start the journey great I, I suppose what this kind of leads on quite well because we've talked about elevating uh, you know, DNI internally, but in terms of hiring, you know, when hiring within the tech space, what do you think companies can do to really demonstrate DEI mindfulness? I think that, first of all, when hiring managers are in the market and working with like recruiting agencies or communicating with their internal recruiting teams about like what they're looking for, I think that the messaging always has to be genuine and authentic. I think what happens is, is that I've talked to executives who are diversity candidates who were approached by a recruiting firm or a company for like a, a board member role or some sort of executive leadership position. And they'll tell me like, yeah, I'm interested in the role, but not if they're just looking for a black board member, because this recruiter literally came up, you know, approached me and said, we are looking for a black board member and your background looks interesting. It's insulting. It's frankly degrading. It's not coming from a genuine place and people can see right through it. So I think that being genuine, authentic um, in how you engage with, with the, the talent pool um, and individuals and, and really being able to communicate 
the company's sort of like commitment, whether that's from, you know, clear internal values that the leadership has put in place or some sort of mission statement. Um, I think that that is just important to sort of live by those types of uh, values. Um, I think that most companies that have a true commitment to diversity and inclusion, they understand that diverse workforces, diversity of thought and experiences lead to more innovation, stronger company culture, higher retention and better business outcomes. But um, I think that even just how we approach candidates in the market, how we position, you know, how these values as we're, you know, in the market with folks, it's still we still need to hone that message correctly. And, and we have to we still have work to do to engage the market in the right way. I think the other piece is that I think it's important for the early, for the earliest days of a startup for people not to wait too long to answer their or think about the diversity hiring and being intentional about about hiring, who you're hiring, and the type of leadership team you want. And I think that if companies wait too long, then they will find it's harder to attract great executives with diverse backgrounds. Um, and I think that because it's frankly more of a rarity to see like an earlier stage company who, who like really lead with that, it could be kind of um, a differentiator as, as you're hiring and growing as a company, um, which I think longer term would be very beneficial to the business. You know, those are some of the things that I would just sort of focus on. The other thing that I would say is, I think thinking about somewhat creatively about who you could partner with, um, who can help with sort of like the DE mindfulness, um, you know, like promoting that across the organization and through hiring practices. So um, that could be done by, you know, working with partnering with recruiting organizations or professional organizations that are focused on diverse talent, or um, also university student groups and business schools, student groups that are might be like an affinity organization that can and really building relationships at those most junior level to like, you know, more executive level. I think those kind of partnerships and getting to know a lot of people and networking um, can attract talent. I know it's hard because companies are often have aggressive hiring goals and they want to make sure that every kind of meeting interaction they have is value valuable to them. but. I don't think that we we can underestimate the importance of being open-minded to just having like a networking conversation with somebody. If they have an interesting background, maybe you don't know if you have a, a, a particular role right now, but you're just generally open mm -hmm. to expanding the network with great folks. Yes. You, you never know what you might encounter in, in, as you meet folks. And so I think having some openness to that and people with diverse backgrounds and diverse um, experiences, I think could be a good way to also um, show DEI mindfulness, have another sort of uh, channel for getting the, the word out there about your company that, you know, this is a company that's very open-minded and likes to engage with, with folks out there. And then also, you know, potentially lead those, those interactions or those um, some starting out kind of networking to opportunistic meetings to actual hires. I would also say there are a number of platforms out there that have now come out into the market that are helping companies evaluate and track their DEI internally. So kind of like where they are, you know, they can set in place goals about where they want to go and then they'll create evidence and research-based recommendations for companies to put together an action plan to start improving their, their DEI efforts. And so I think that exploring platforms such as those um, at, you know, any phase really of the company's sort of life cycle could be a very interesting and innovative way to, to take on the DEI question incredibly insightful and, and thank you for sharing that i really i'm keen to understand the openness to connectivity point more that which you raised because i think that's such a a great way to to have those authentic 
conversations within the market because otherwise I think a lot a lot what a lot of companies are guilty of is saying okay well we need to hire you know we need to hire more women for example and they kind of go into the market and they're ve- they're actually quite tunnel visioned even though they're looking to diversify the workforce they're still very strict in terms of the parameters that they're looking to do that whereby adopting the approach which you mentioned Jenny which is just an openness an openness to people in the market who have interesting CVs who have interesting backgrounds and seeing where those organic conversations can lead I think is also a really um, impactful way that companies can can diverse, diversify the workforce but also you sometimes don't know what you're looking for until you come across them right and and I think that's a really interesting way that I think companies can actually adopt that now. Um, we talk a lot about being connected and expanding your network. But are you expanding your network with set parameters uh, or are you expanding your network in a far more kind of organic and holistic way? Do you think candidates, I mean, can candidates tell? Can candidates tell when a company is putting on a DEI hat versus a company that is authentically interested in elevating the DEI message? Yeah, I think that that's a tricky one. I think that, um, I think generally candidates could probably pick up on it. And, you know, and that's sometimes the struggle of the recruiter because you kind of have to start somewhere also, right? So I think that that's why it's best to be sort of honest, like, hey, I know this company's leadership team has no women and no diverse candidates or diverse executives, but you know, I assure you that, you know, we're at a different place now. We're trying to like change, you know, how the company is approaching diversity. And I think that it's worth you at least like, you know, having a networking meeting, kind of seeing where it goes. I, I think that, you know, that sometimes that's a tough sell for, for candidates who sort of see through that. And I think that you have to be respectful if they're like, you know what, I don't really want to engage because I don't feel like they have a genuine, you know, desire to, to make some changes here. But, but I think that also for some candidates, they understand like we do have to start somewhere. And, um, and like I would like to be somebody who can like sort of change the conversation internally and be that person. So I, I do think that it's a matter of, again, engaging them in the right way and messaging it in the right way, you know, again, without showing that you're just, this is, we're just trying to check a box here. I, it's a tricky one, I think. And it's something that I think we're all still sort of working on and every company is kind of handling differently. Um, and we're still all learning too. I think there's still so much learning that we need to do on how to tackle this, you know, DEI and improving DEI in in the in the right way. Do you think the tech space is ahead or behind or on par with other industries when talking about propelling the DEI uh, awareness and mindfulness? I think some companies have shown that from almost the start, they have really embraced it and done things differently. But as a whole, I think the industry is behind. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that historically, you know, the workforce in tech companies is not particularly diverse. And so, and whereas there are other industries where they, they've been more um, frankly reachable and, um, and attainable for people of color or underrepresented minorities, um, or maybe because of location, maybe because companies are located in areas where there are more um, African-American or Latinx um, employees or, or candidates. 
I, I think that, you know, as a whole, I think that we have a lot of work to do in, in tech. And again, it's a matter of us getting out of our own way because um, I think that the pattern matching and thinking that somebody has the right profile sometimes has overtaken or um, has prevailed over, hey, let's think a little bit more outside the box here and let's be more open to different kinds of backgrounds. And so I think that there's, you know, we need to do more of a kind of mind shift on that point. Um, to invite more uh, and attract more folks from diverse backgrounds. There's so many tangible things discussed here today, Jenny, that companies uh, and individuals and leaders can really implement to to improve the, I think, the current state of, of, of the company's DEI standing, regardless of which company that is. I mean, you yourself are obviously a, a really highly regarded leader within the tech space, obviously, you know, um, a diverse background, a female. I mean, do you think things are getting better? Do you think the, 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 the rate of progress is at a, a glacial pace or do you think it's gaining momentum? You know, I'm, I'm really interested to know kind of your thoughts in particular, given your background and experience. I think we still have a ways to go. I don't know. I don't want to say glacial. Maybe in, in certain companies, it's still glacial. I think as a whole, you know, if we're going to be, if tech is going to be like the in, innovative industry, then we should innovate at all levels. And that includes in hiring. And, um, and, and so I think that we still have quite a ways to go there. And look, I think I got a little bit lucky in some ways because my background is very unusual. And, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that people took a chance on somebody who had an unusual background, not coming from tech, not coming from a corporate, corporate America. Um, you know, I was a criminal defense attorney and I made this transition to executive recruiting that opened the door to moving into the venture talent world. But, you know, I think that Again, it just sort of, I think there were certain intrinsics that people saw in me that they were able to pick up on that led me to on this path. And once again, I think that that's the other piece for folks who are hiring out there is to let's focus a little bit more on the intrinsics maybe and not just on what exactly what everyone did in their background. Um, and, you know, whether that's a fit, you know, in a cookie cutter sort of mold of what we want in this hire. So, um, so yeah, I think that we, we still have a ways to go, and I, I think there's a lot of progress that has yet to be made. Great. Jenny, as ever, it's been so interesting to talk. I could, you know, speak for you, to, to you for a, for a lot longer about this, but I'm very appreciative, as are our viewers, for your time today and your insight and, and you know, sharing your experience. Thank you so much for being a guest, and uh, I look forward to continuing our conversation soon. So, Thank you very much to our viewers for listening. Huge thank you to Jenny Kang, talent partner at Battery Ventures. We'd really appreciate it, guys, if you could like, share and subscribe. Do feel free to comment. We're always very keen to, to read those. And uh, until next time, guys, look after each other.